Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez, I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. So today, we get to hear from one of our good friends, who's been actually on the podcast a couple times. We should almost make him an honorary guest speaker at this point, because he's been here so many times. I think this is, what, number three, I think, Rich. But we're going to have Richard Fonaco of Cavuero Service talking to us today. And like I said, we've talked to him several times, and we've talked about owning your own airplane. We've talked about aircraft maintenance in general. And today, we wanted to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart and a lot of aircraft owners' hearts, and that is preventative maintenance. So we're going to talk about the things you can and can't do on your airplane and when you should do it and when you shouldn't and when we should have a professional like Richard work on your airplane. So I'm really excited to have you on today. Thanks for being here today, Rich. Thank you so much. Thanks for being back on with us, Rich. So can you explain exactly what is preventative maintenance? Yeah, Carson. FAA actually defines preventative maintenance under Section 1.1. Simple or minor preservation operations and the replacement of small standard parts not involving complex assembly operations. Part 43, Appendix A, lists everything that is in the preventative maintenance section. And if it is not uh, listed in Appendix A, it is not a preventative maintenance item. That's really interesting. Yeah. While we're talking here, I I pulled up the FAR. So I looked up Part 43, and there's Part 43 all the way from 1 to 17 and A through F. It looks like it, it handles quite a bit of stuff. What you're talking about, Appendix A is major alterations, repairs, preventative maintenance, obviously what we're talking about today. But the rest of it looks like it's probably more applicable to A&P or an IA. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. All right. With knowing that kind of a normal person can only do certain things, who can actually perform this preventative maintenance? What can a pilot do? The AC43-12A specifies that repairmen and mechanics AMP holder of AM, airframe and power plant can perform preventative maintenance, but also the pilot holding a at least a private pilot certificate under issued under Part 61 and who is the registered owner or the co-owner of the aircraft can perform the preventative maintenance on that aircraft. Well, so you have to be one of the owners. You can't just be one of the pilot's friends and helping them work on the airplane. Correct. If you're going to be working on a plane, you would have to be under the supervision of a licensed airframe or power plant mechanic, depending on the work that you're going to be performing. So if I'm, let's just say I'm not a pilot and I want to help my friend change the tire, technically that's illegal. That friend would also have to be a pilot. Is that correct? Or under the supervision of a, an ANP, correct? That is correct. Cool. I know that gets confusing sometimes. And I know that I've done some preventative maintenance on my airplanes in the past. I haven't done preventive maintenance in a while because Richard takes care of everything for me on all that stuff in his shop. But I know that I did do some stuff in the past. And I asked you, do I need to do a logbook entry for this oil change I just did? And what is the answer to everybody out there? If you actually do an oil change or one of the items we're going to talk about in a little bit, is there, do you have to do a logbook entry or do you just leave it off? Yes, you have to do a logbook entry. And there is, it is actually written out in the FAR of how it is written. Looking for that right now. But yes, there is essentially a logbook entry for the work you performed and you write your pilot certificate number as your license number for that preventative maintenance. Yeah, I've looked at it now, now that I'm a CFI, it kind, you have to sign the logbook entry for a pilot, just like your CFI would. 
So you need to have your printed name, you have to have your signed name, you have to have your certificate number, and then you don't have an expiration date if you're just a private pilot or, a, or an instrument rated pilot or something. So there'd be no expiration date, but you would put also like the total time airframe and the total time on the, on the tack. You gotta, you have to add those things in too, to make sure they're on there. I know that I, when I looked into it last, you had to have pretty much everything that goes on a standard logbook entry, uh, except for you can just have a pilot sign off on it. At least the pilot that actually worked on it. What sort of things can I work on as the pilot, the owner of that airplane? So what kind of things can the pilots go and do for their planes? Carson, Part 43, Appendix A to Part 43, Subsection C actually lists out everything that a pilot can do on their aircraft. In different aircraft, obviously, you can do different things, but there's a various amount of things of changing tires, servicing your landing gear with oil or air, and it all comes down to if you have the tool, the correct tools to do it, and if you're in knowledge of how to do it, then yes, you can do these things. Obviously, if you don't know how to service your struts, you, you shouldn't be doing that, and you should call your mechanic, and they could help you out with that kind of thing. So does that apply to any sort of airplane that I'm working on that, I'm, that I own? So if I own a Gulfstream and I'm the owner and the pilot of it, am I able to go and work on my Gulfstream and do that kind of preventative maintenance? That is a very good question, and I'm not sure what the actual scope of that is. I don't believe that is applies in this case. I'm sure there's an outline of size of aircraft or complexity of aircraft, and obviously Gulfstream are going to be a lot more complex than your small piston single engine or small twin engine airplane. Yeah, it's a little more than just taking off the cowling. Yeah, that's a pretty great question, Carson. I'm actually looking for it as we speak, and I cannot actually find where it states it, but I'm sure there's some abstract little thing on here that says you have to use a 145 repair station or something like that. But I'm sure that's actually a good question. How about if the plane is operated under like part 121, an airline carrier, 135, which is, it can be cargo carrier, or it could be just for hire, or like part 141, which are some of our flight school airplanes. Can we work on those airplanes if they're under any of those parts? Yeah. If you look under AC43-12A, there's actually, it spells out authorization to perform preventative maintenance and approve for return to service. And it says the pilot may only perform preventative maintenance on an aircraft used under the Part 135 if the conditions of subsection 43.3H and I are met, which I'm sure we could comb through that and see what that is. And then it says, note, a pilot may not perform preventative maintenance on an aircraft used under Part 121, even if the pilot owns the aircraft. So it's spelled out right there in the AC for you on that one. I kind of answered that question. Sometimes the FAA is not very clear with any regulations, and it's up to the interpretation of the ASI that works at your local FISDO, which I've had the issue with a few times as of recently, where one ASI will tell me one thing and another ASI will tell me another thing. And now I think I'm just going to ask for letters of interpretation. But luckily, this, we don't actually have to, to ask for a letter of interpretation. It's spelled out very clearly. And I appreciate that from the FAA. Sometimes they get some of these advisory circulars and they are very vague and ambiguous. This one happens to be very clear cut and very understandable. And I think it's because they want to make sure pilots know what they're able to do. They want to know if they can go do some of the things. I know Rich mentioned verbatim off of the advisory circular what you can do, but some things you can do that are they're on the list, but maybe in a different order. You can change your tires. You can change the tubes on your tires. You can 
clean up different parts. You can grease wheel bearings, things like that. But just changing a tire on an airplane is a lot different than changing a tire on a car, by the way. The first time I did it, I screwed it up and I actually ruined the first tube I ever did. And I didn't realize you need talcum powder. And I didn't realize all these things. And I got a flat tire on my second one that I ever did. It was just, it cost me a whole bunch of money because I was trying to be cheap and do it myself the first time I ever changed a tire. And I think that might've been the last time I changed the tire, by the way. It just wasn't worth it. But so for example, Rich, I know that I mentioned a few things, but tires in particular, just because I messed them up so many times, what's the difference between changing a tire on your car and changing a tire on, let's say a 172? As far as you're asking what work needs to be done in comparison? What's different? Because I know if I'm going to go change a tire in a car, I'm just going to pull my, my wheel and tire off. I'm going to use a breaker bar and break the bead off the tire, and then I'm going to put a new tire on it and pump it back up, essentially. So pretty straightforward and simple. I don't have to take apart anything, any part of the wheel, if it's just a normal wheel and tire. But what's different with the, I know these are tube tires, and I know that's a little different, but they're way different than even my bicycle tube tire. So what's, what do you have to do that's a little bit different in that regard? So like on a 172 or most small general aviation aircraft, the wheels themselves are held together by bolts and it's a tubed, usually a tubed tire as well. So you have the tire, you have the tube, and you have the wheel halves. And first thing is you want to let all the air out of the tube before you even take the tire off of the axle, which is usually a single point castle nut or something similar to that. And if there's a problem with the the wheel halves, that could pop and ha- cause damage to you or the aircraft. And so it's just the best thing to do is when the airplane is jacked up properly, you let all the air out and then you take the wheel off the axle. And then what you're going to want to do is break tire bead off of the wheel and then you take the wheel apart, which then you can get into the bearings and everything like that. If you're going to clean them or inspect them, that's the best time to do that as well. And then you'll take the tube out or either replace the tube or you can use the tube if it's still good. I usually inflate the tube and check it out, make sure if there's any rubbing spots or if the tube is years old, there should be a, a date stamped on it somewhere. If I can't see that, I'll just replace the tube and then they used to be affordable. Nowadays, they're like $150 for a tube, just the tube, that's not even the tire. And then when you're replacing it, yeah, you want to use tire talc or talcum powder or baby powder to help lubricate the tube in the tire. And it keeps everything from binding up and getting pinched when you put everything, reassemble everything and retorque everything. The maintenance manual should have torque specs and everything for you. You should have that handy while you're doing that as well. And yeah, just inflate it to spec and reinstall on the aircraft. Yeah, that's it's definitely a lot more work. It took you a lot more description to be able to explain how to change an airplane tire on just a simple airplane like a Cessna 172 compared to my explanation on a car tire, right? And we both changed tires on cars before and broken beads and all that stuff. And we both done tires on airplane wheels. And I guarantee it took a lot longer for him to explain it. It takes a lot longer to do it on an airplane as well. I don't know anything about jets. And I know, Rich, I know you might have worked on a little bit in your past, but I can't imagine doing that on a big jet where you have to put wheels and tires in like cages in case they explode. Things like that is pretty crazy. Yeah, I think that's a great explanation. And why is it important for owners to do maintenance on the airplanes, like preventative maintenance? Or is it important? Maybe it's not. Maybe they should just make sure their AMP does it. 
But why is it important for somebody like me or Carson when he owns his first airplane to go work on my airplane and do an oil change or change the tires or, or something like that? Yeah. So I tell all my customers, it's extremely important to know your airplane that you're flying. You're in charge of the aircraft ultimately, and you're going to be flying the aircraft more than anybody. You would want to know what's going on with your own airplane. I encourage owner-assisted annuals and maintenance. Every owner of their airplane should know how to open up their airplane, what to look for, and it's always good for more eyes to be looking at the plane than just your mechanics. Everybody's human. People miss things. And so the more people looking at your plane, I think the better. Yeah. And I know one of our friends, we actually need to have him on the podcast. He's actually, I think, coming out here tomorrow for a golf tournament. Darius, I talked to him this morning and he knows his airplane better than most people I know. And he's a Cherokee 6 guy, PA32 guy. You probably see him in some of the PA32 Facebook groups if you're on there. But he knows his airplane in and out. When he brings it in for his annual, I've seen him explain, hey, this rivet is starting to smoke or what I'm using that as a random example. I don't think he's ever said that, but like he's, he'll know exactly where a little drop of oil finally came from. Like he is very in tune with his airplane. And I think that's great because as a mechanic, when you're looking at the airplane later, you're only seeing so many things. You're looking through the manual, you're looking at the airplane, you're doing a thorough job, but we're human. Sometimes you can miss little things. So if you have another set of eyes, like Rich was saying, to look at that airplane, I think that's a fantastic idea. And it just makes you a better pilot too. Because if you hear a random noise when you're flying, you can probably diagnose if that was just a gust of wind and that's why your blade angle just changed. Or like if you're flying and you hear a weird change in your propeller, you can try to figure out, hey, was that like a really strong gust of wind that just did a immediate blade change? And it change the sound of the pitch or was it actually an internal engine problem and I need to go get that looked at like land immediately I mean there's things like that radio issues do you know what's wrong with your radios do you actually know how to use your radio sometimes people don't know how to turn up and down the volume properly or the squelch up and down and it just goes in but if you know it and you've looked at your airplane over and over again and done some of these preventative maintenance things you're going to know your airplane in and out so that's why I'm a big fan of it it's not like when you're in the air, you can just pull over when you have an issue. It's a little bit different, and it's a good idea to know what's going on. But how can pilots and aircraft owners contribute to having an effective maintenance program with preventive maintenance? Communication, Carson. Have good communication with your mechanic. Keep an open phone. If there's ever a problem or an issue, you should be able to reach out and at least send an email or a text about something. And the mechanic should be able to help you out and get back to you with some sort of answer. I, I believe that's one thing that is a good thing to have is good communication with each other. What other advice do you have for pilots in order to keep the plane in that kind of top shape that we really want the planes in? Aside from talking to your mechanic and keeping the open line. I say good pre-flight and post-flight inspections are the first thing in the chain of events that need to take place in keeping your aircraft in good, safe, and flying order. Even though you're, if you're the only one who flies your airplane, I know a lot of times you can just be like, ah, oh, I know what's wrong with my plane, or I know there's nothing wrong with my plane, I'm going to go fly. But it's a bad habit to get into. We have a Cessna 182 in our family, and there's only a couple people who fly it. Me, my father-in-law, my brother-in-law. 
And if I was the last person to fly it, I still do a very thorough pre-flight inspection. And when I land, walk around the plane post-flight, check your tires, check for any leaks, check your oil. And you can have a very long-lasting and safe plane to fly. Yeah, you've mentioned that to me multitude of times. And you've talked about that with like students. You said you want to go show students what to look for on a pre-flight because CFIs don't do a good enough job on it. And I agree. CFIs don't do a good enough job on it. And everybody out here is a CFI. You should really get better at doing a pre-flight and check your aero docks every time you get in an airplane on a side note, because for some reason that always comes up as an issue, always at the wrong time. So make sure you've got your aero docks in the airplane. I know that you just kind of think that they're already going to be in there, but they're on the pre-flight checklist for a reason, right? You want to make sure that you've got those things in there. You need to make sure the plane is legal to fly. But back to what Rich was saying, a pre-flight is really key and a post-flight. I know that I've had people take off pre-flight, looked great. They checked the fuel, left the fuel cap off. Fuel cap went somewhere else. Half of their fuel flew out of the airplane while they were flying. So that's happened before. You can also land and skid a tire and not even realize it. And you've got this giant flat spot on your tire after you landed. So I even say roll the plane back and forth about a foot or two. If it's a small enough plane, you can do that, obviously, just to check out those tires a little bit better. You want to make sure that things are not broken on your airplane. Heck, you can even hit a bird and a small bird, and it could have some crazy dent in a place that it can't have a dent. You could nick your propeller on your right before you take off or after landing. If you're on even a paved runway, you can still get a big nick in your prop and it could become unairworthy. So you need to look at those things. Actually, I think the biggest thing that people don't do, and this is why people get killed, is they don't sump their fuel. And they'll, and they'll also, people will go sump their fuel right after they get the airplane fuel. So if you go take some oil and water and go take a straw or something, go mix it in front of you, tell me how long it takes for it to settle. It's not instantaneous where all the water settles on the bottom. It takes a few minutes. And I guarantee in a 25 or 50 gallon like drum that's in your airplane wing, it's probably going to take a little bit longer for that to settle there as well. So I always say wait 10 or 15 minutes before something and always sump after you've fueled your airplane. Even if you've had somebody else do it or if you've done it, don't just put the gas in the airplane and bounce. I remember seeing a guy, he didn't sump his fuel. He left his plane overnight. And I don't know if just moisture got in or if, or if just the relative humidity caused moisture to seep in. I'm not really sure, but I know he had an engine failure and unfortunately he didn't make it. So it's a really important thing to check the fuel. I mentioned two things in my little examples right now on fuel because fuel is your lifeblood of your engine, right? You need the fuel. With that being said, I want to say thank you so much for Rich for coming in today, telling us about preventative maintenance. And it's a really great thing to look up. And like he said, go check out Advisory Circular 4312 Alpha. And also check out part 43 of the FARs. It will teach you a lot. And by the way, that part 43, it's not in your FAR aim. So you have to go look at it online. Or you need to go to Aircraft Spruce and get the A&P mechanic book or something. It has a bunch of other parts in there too. So every time you look up and it says part 121, there's, yeah, there's quite a few parts before it that aren't even listed in there. So it's not an all-encompassing guide of the federal regulations. So. Thank you again, Rich, for being on this podcast with us. Yeah, as always, thanks for being on with us today, Rich. It's always nice to get some of the expertise that you have out to all of our listeners. And for those of you listening, I hope our last few episodes made you want to go out and get an airplane. 
And I hope that today's episode teaches you a little bit about taking care of it. Yeah, thanks again for having me, you guys. I always have a good time here, and I'm sure I'll be back soon for some more fun issues. Yeah, those fun issues and topics will be a blast to talk about. And if anybody wants to reach out to us, you can find Rich at com. You can also send him an email, richard at com. And for Carson and I, you can reach us at Twitter, Instagram. I'm at Mr. Martini Guy or at Carson underscore AV17. And as you know, our preferred method is email nowadays. It's Brandon at AviationMentors.com or Carson at AviationMentors.com. And I've got a couple emails that I haven't got to this week. So if you're listening uh, to this today, uh, please be patient. I will be getting back to you, but it'll probably be on Monday. So thanks again for listening today. And as a wrap up for the day, remember, we're here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride.